feel like it's tempting for any priest, when you hear the Ten Commandments, to get up here and just walk through each of them and do the... And another thing, let me tell you all the reasons that this is a sin, and let me tell you all the other ways you can sin against these commandments. I'm not going to do that for all kinds of reasons. One is that many of you know me. Second is because my parents are here. And they know all the stuff. No, I'd rather uh, consider the gospel from uh, a different standpoint. I got worried my homily was gone for a second. (laughs) No, we can say this. If we treat Christ as a stranger, he is going to be for us uh, a judge. But if we trust him as a friend, he will be our savior. It's good as we consider the Gospels uh, to notice those towards whom the Lord exhibits the most anger. It's always the Pharisees, isn't it? It's always the ones who are the religious authorities. It's the ones who are ultimately seeking earthly profit from the saving works of God. Those who are using the things of God not to free others from bondage, uh, but rather to enslave them to whatever religious system they happen themselves to be enslaved to. We know, at least in our heart of hearts, that religion doesn't exist for its own sake. Like all of this isn't just to perpetuate all of this. That's fairly boring, for lack of a better word. It's also like an unhealthy and illicit use, again, of the things of God, because we don't preach just a bunch of stuff to do a bunch of rules to follow. We preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. We preach the one who became man and died for our sins and rose from the dead and freed us from the evils of sin and death. And yet we do obey the prescripts of religion. And we're called to. Like we have uh, all kinds of laws, as it were, within the church. We have the Ten Commandments to follow. And we obey them because, well, we know they have a deeper meaning even though sometimes, depending on where we are in our own journey of faith, we we may may or may not understand that deeper meaning. And also because we love the one who's given us the laws, namely God who is our father, and also the church who is our mother. And to approach the prescripts of religion and the laws of the church in this kind of a way is in fact a beautiful act of humility. Because I trust that what God has given us and what God has permitted to be given with regards to the precepts and the prescripts of the church, we believe that they have a deeper meaning. And I seek that meaning constantly through my prayer and through my own study and searching. I can ask all kinds of questions. Why do I have to go to Mass on Sunday? It's a common common enough question that I hear. And we can talk about it in all kinds of ways. And we can start with, well, God invites me to that. God has commanded it, first and foremost. And though I might not understand again from the beginning, at the very least I trust it, and I do respond in love. Okay, that's not the most intellectually satisfying answer. There's a lot who are going to want to go deeper, and you should go deeper if you have that desire. And yet, the simple trust and obedience is a beautiful virtue. Why? Because there's simplicity there. There's also trust, and there's also love. 
Even if the command were to come from an odious source, like, I don't know, a priest or a bishop you don't like, I can still obey it. I can still obey someone even who gives bad example. Why? Because out of simplicity, out of trust, out of love, I obey. And I offer, then, that service ultimately to God and to his church. Even Christ says to the people, he says, look, the Pharisees sit on the seat of Moses, so do whatever they tell you, but don't do what they do, because they don't practice what they preach. So do what they tell you, but not what they do, he says. For those who want a deeper answer about the Mass, for example, we can give it. But the prerequisite for hearing it and letting that sink deeply into our hearts is, in fact, the simplicity and the trust and the love that comes from obedience. So again, when we want an answer, we seek it for the sake of understanding. We don't seek it for the sake of of extra argument or to try to um, figure out how to prove it wrong, something along those lines. No, we seek the answer because we want to trust and we want to love more deeply. Again, if we treat Christ as a stranger, he is going to be for us the judge. But if we trust him as a friend, he will be our savior. So those who are buying and selling in the temple in our gospel today, they're doing a certain necessary work for the sake of the temple sacrifices. I mean, God instituted those sacrifices in the Old Testament. And they were following as best as they knew how the, the prescripts and the commands of God. And so many of the people who made use of the services of the money changers and those who were buying and selling animals and the whole thing, they did so in simplicity and trust and love of God. And so they're not the ones who are punished by our Lord. But it was the religious authorities who were punished by our Lord. Those who failed in their duties and responsibilities to bring God's saving action to the people. Those who became stumbling blocks, hindrances, scandals, that's what that word means, to the work of God, rather than conduits of his goodness and his love and his grace. And so when Christ came, they did treat him as a stranger, as an outsider. And so he was for them a judge. It's helpful for us also to recall, at least for our own sake, that when it's time for Christ to be crucified, it's not just the Pharisees who hand him over to Pontius Pilate. But the Pharisees did stir up the crowd, and the crowd listened to them, and the crowd followed them. The Gospel tells us that Christ knew what was in mankind. That was the end of the Gospel today. And so he doesn't entrust himself to them. He knows liable to following, say, false prophets. That's important for us, too, because even as, as members of the church, we don't entrust ourselves to a particular member of the hierarchy. Even if you think my homilies are wonderful, thank you. Um, you don't believe in me. Your faith isn't in me. You desire that I give good homilies. You desire that I give good example. But your faith is ultimately in Christ. He is the one to whom we entrust ourselves. It's so important because that that enables us to both love and cherish those members of the church who are true servants of God, recognizing the goodness of what they do, but also enables us to be willing to call them out, even to challenge and encourage them if they falter. 
Thanks be to God that Christ is for us already a friend, because it means that he deals with us mercifully, uh, and again, as a Savior. That's the real reason we come to Mass on Sunday, isn't it? Because we know him. We know his goodness. We are his friends. So it's what he says to us. And we're seeking to deepen that friendship in our own lives. The church knows, though, that it takes that simplicity and that trust and that love even to discover Christ's friendship from the beginning, and especially to experience it in a deeper way. I have to respond to the invitation of Christ, that he wants to be my Savior. He wants, to, he wants me to allow him to be my Savior. The punishments that we get with regards to various sins, I mean, it's a reason that the Church commands according to the third commandment, that we attend Mass every Sunday, the new Sabbath, the day of rest and, and resurrection. The punishments for breaking that commandment, mortal sin, it's for those who, well, those who treat Christ as a stranger. It's meant to be a wake-up call, like the incident in the Gospel today. Parents, you get it, because you have moments in your houses when you've got to get your kids' attention. But you also know that that's not meant to be the tenor of the entire relationship. You want your kids to be close to you. You want them to love you as you love them. You don't want to have to be the judge for them, but you want to be loving fathers and loving mothers. Same with Christ. There are some days, maybe some longer periods in our lives, where he has to get our attention. It helps us to see him or rather helps us to see how we have treated him as a stranger. He doesn't want to punish. He's not interested in the death of the sinner. We hear that over and over, that refrain over and over during the season of Lent. But the truth does remain. If we treat him as a stranger, if we continue to treat him as a stranger, he will be for us a judge. But if we trust him as a friend, he is for us our loving Savior.